Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. The spiritual man is everything but a passive man. He is a man in partnership with God. He walks with God, but he also works with God. He has taken a hold of the heart and the burden of God, and he is living it out in this world. He is preaching. He is teaching. He is training. He comes. He goes. He works. The spiritual man is very, very active. I think of the Apostle Paul who, after he met Christ, yes, he had that period of isolation, but when he began to really get going with God, um, he went all over the known world of his day. Very active. But there is one thing that the spiritual man cannot neglect in his walking and in his working with God. And it is to fellowship with God. In the next many messages, I want to encourage you in your personal fellowship with God, in your loving of God, in your devotion to God, in your worship of God, in your praying to God and adoring God, perhaps in your singing of God, to God, in in your heart, are you fellowshipping with Him? That is, are you minding Him and seeking to touch Him and be before His throne and be within His heart? Are you interacting with God or are you just in a way working with God, doing the work of God, but maybe neglecting fellowshipping with God. To fellowship with God is to be intimate with God, to be in love with God and not lose that first love. And that's what I want to focus on. These sessions are going to be a little bit longer and a little bit more... um, teaching-oriented. So I want for you to understand a couple of things within the Bible, a couple of things within certain books, uh, a certain uh, pattern and rhythm within the New Testament. And I'm hoping that you would be so stirred, so encouraged to never neglect fellowship with God, because really, you cannot walk nor work with your Lord And you cannot live out really the purposes of God in this earth. You cannot really speak for God if that private, personal, intimate, secret place fellowship with God is not ongoing. And I don't want to talk to you about set times of fellowship with God. I really want to introduce a lifestyle that is beyond a certain day, beyond a certain time, 
I want to introduce you to fellowship as a way of life and within your spirit. Today, I want to introduce you to the four Gospels and how they portray Jesus in a unique way. And I want to bring you to the writings of John in particular, because John is inviting you to have fellowship with him the way he has fellowship with the Father and with the Son. He's inviting us into the fellowship that he had with God. And you and I can enter into the richness of his experience with God. He says, hey, this is also for you. It's not for a select few or the professional elite. It's for every man and woman that have come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ of God. All of us are welcomed into God by His Spirit because of the work of Christ to come and interact with God. At the center of the Christian life is the tree of life, which is just God himself as life to you, which is just Christ. But Christ not as a beautiful little fruit tree, Christ as a cross tree. Amen? And the Spirit, the Spirit is of life. Jesus said it clearly. It is the Spirit that gives life. The Father gives you life. The cross, the Son is life-giving the Spirit. Even the Bible says the Spirit is the life-giving Spirit. So this is something we receive. Light is something that we receive. You cannot know God from your own capacity. You do not have the constitutional capacity to know God. God has to be revealed to you. It's something you receive. Even the character of God, the holiness of God, the very... um, uh, nature of God is not something that we can copy and work for and uh, obtain, or shall I say attain. The, the, the holiness of God, the character of God is something that is bestowed, worked into you. You just have to receive it. Even the work of the cross, you've got to just receive it. There's nothing that you can do to add to the work of the cross. The same with the anointing. It's something that you receive. Saints, the only thing that you can give God is fellowship. You cannot give God light. You cannot give God holiness. You cannot give God any redemptive work or accomplishment that you came up with. You can't give God anointing. You can't give God money, gold, silver, temple, houses. Really, really. The only thing that you and I can actually give God is to just interact with Him. And that's what we're coming after. How do I interact with God? Let's look here at a a few verses and then we will jump into what it means to fellowship with God. Quick introductory note, 
regarding the Gospel of John, the three letters of John, and the book of Revelation. We have the Gospel of Matthew. That's a very teaching-oriented gospel of authority, of kingship, and of the kingdom. We have the gospel of Mark. That is a very servant, miracle, power, sign, wonder type of gospel. Uh, really, in our Bible, I believe the gospel of Mark should be put first before the, the gospel of Matthew because it's short, it's to the point, and it's action-packed. It's spectacular from the front to the end. And uh, as folk stay in a hotel and maybe grab a Bible, starting with Matthew's gospel, with the big genealogy and stuff, it's, it's a little much to process, you know, when you're in a critical hour of need. But if you were to go to God, the gospel of Mark first, you'd get the point a lot quicker. Um, you come to the gospel of Luke. Um, Luke is a very relational gospel. It is a gospel of interaction. It's the gospel of the parables, the stories. Um, there is the, the travel narrative in, in, in Luke's gospel. Um, Luke's gospel has like a, a, a huge segment within it where Jesus just journeys. And much of the gospel plays out through the journeying, um, visiting here, visiting there, stories, very relational. Um, a lot of women in uh, Luke's gospel. And uh, the other gospels, not a whole, whole lot of women. Um, but if those are the only three gospels we had, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that is a beautiful picture of God. We have in Matthew the gospel of the kingdom and authority, and, and we need that. We have in the gospel of Mark the supernatural, the spectacular. Um, it's just awesome how demons just fly everywhere in that, that gospel, and we need that gospel, and it gives us such a vivid picture of the power of God. Luke's gospel is the relational gospel. It is a gospel of interaction and of healing and the prodigal this and of finding and seeking and searching. We need that gospel, and it is a most fitting description of who God is. But y'all, if we do not have the gospel of John, or the letters of John. And if we do not have the book of Revelation, there's an aspect of God we're missing. Matthew picks up on the kingdom, Mark on the power, Luke on the interpersonal relationships. John picks up on how do you interact with God himself. John's gospel his letters and his revelation is very supernatural, very mystical. It is, it, is, it is writing that points out life, spirit, the Father seeking worship. It is about drinking and eating and true bread and true drink. It's about light, and it's about resurrection. Those elements are not in Matthew's gospel. We don't read about God as life in Matthew's gospel, or in Mark, or in Luke. We have no words that, that said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and tabernacled among us. We have no 
concept of that in, in, in the other writings. But here we see in John, he dwells among us and he's full of grace and his reality and he's the way to the Father and he's the reality of God and he's the vine and we're the branches and there's abiding, there's interaction and we bear fruit and he's preparing a place for us that where he is, we would be. We don't find that in Matthew or in Mark or in Luke. It's not their view that they're going for. But John's gospel and his writings really brings us into the inner life. These writings are our favorite, but the least understood. The reason they're our favorite is because there is something in you that's of eternity. And John constantly speaks about eternal life. You'll never die. And we resonate with that because in Ecclesiastes, it says, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God put eternity into the hearts of man. And in Genesis, he breathed into man the breath of life. There's something in you that relates to the supernatural. There's something in you that, that hungers and thirsts for that, that aches for that. That's why we love John's gospel. It's because it, it resonates with the eternity that, that I'm made for. The heavenlies that God wants me to be a partaker of. So, very mystical. We love reading it, but we, we, we seldom come into the reality of what John is speaking about. The Spirit will lead you into all of the reality. In John's Gospel, Father, I and you, and you and me, and they in me. And I in them, and we in you. We don't have this language in the other Gospels. This language of interacting, belonging, coming into God. So John's Gospel is just really mystical, spiritual. We love reading it. We seldom understand. So I'll give you an example. In John 15, the Lord speaks about, I'm the vine, you're the branch, abide in me. He interprets what that means through, the, through John chapter 14 and through 16 and 17. It's oneness and spirit that he's talking about. But I guarantee you the last time you heard a message on John 15, you were taught about a quiet time. He says, my flesh is the true fruit food that you need. It's the real bread that comes from heaven. My blood is the real drink that you need. So you and I have made it about communion. Jesus said, I'm the door. If we pray over that door, is it going to become like the literal door? Jesus is, y'all, be careful around that door. Don't kick that thing because it's Jesus. That's how we treat communion. This, this is Jesus. I'm the light. If any man walks in me, he will never stumble again. I'm the light of life. There's Jesus. I'm not sure if he's 40 watt, 60 watt, or 100 watt light, but, um, or a spotlight. When a natural man tries to interpret the things of God, you're always going to fall short. Mm 
even though we love John's gospel, we don't have a clue what he's saying. It's mystical. He's talking about things that is nearest and dearest to the Father. Of course, the kingdom in Matthew's gospel is nearest and dearest. The miraculous in Mark, yes, that's a part of God. Amen. How to relate one to another in Luke's gospel. God wants us to have good relationships. But there's one gospel that draws you into the heavenlies. And you need to be in spirit when you read John's gospel. You need to be of the spirit, by the spirit, in the mind of the spirit. Otherwise, you will come up with strange interpretations. Even in the letters of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, there's such depth, such heavenly concepts. And then we get to the book of Revelation. It's just out there. We have six biographies of the person of Christ. Six biographies. The first one is Matthew's Gospel. It's a biography of a teacher, of a king that fulfills prophecy and is setting up the kingdom of God. Marvelous biography. You would do well to dig into Matthew's Gospel. We have another biography of a servant, slave-like person that heals and casts out the devils. The miraculous biography. We have a biography of a man who loves people. All throughout Luke's gospel, there's eating and drinking and feasting and conversations and stories. It's the longest gospel. That's a biography of who your Lord is. Then we have John's gospel. In John's gospel, Jesus is not presented as a king or a servant or a great friend. He's presented as God in John 8. Before Abraham was, I am. That's a biography of God Himself. Then we have the book of Acts, saints. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of Christ. As if the Apostles could do anything. The book of Acts is a biography of Christ in spirit inside the saints. It's a biography of the spirit of Christ, who is Christ, by the way. You all with me? Can you see Acts is a kind of a gospel? It's a kind of a biography. Yeah? And then we have the book of Revelation. It's a biography, not of a king necessarily, a Servant necessarily, a person of great relationship. Yes, it begins to hint, like John's Gospel, a lot to the fact that it's God, the eternal one, the glorious one. We have a biography. The revelation is not about the end times or the Antichrist primarily. It's about the king of all the kings. And it's about 
the glorious Son of God, robed in white, having hair as wool, eyes of fire, and out of his mouth comes two things, rushing, gushing, deafening water, and a two-edged sword, feet fully bronzed, hands and sides still pierced, coming on a white horse, whoa, that's a biography of this magnificent, glorious Lord of ours. So, again, to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, has a particular aspect pertaining to his humanity. We dig into John a little bit, we get a glimpse of divinity, a glimpse of this God-man. He's not just a carpenter or a good teacher, it's actually God among us, who tabernacled among us. And we see Him, we beheld Him, the glory as of, as of the only begotten of the Father. We come to Acts, we see Christ in spirit. We come to Revelation, we see the exalted, enthroned, glorious, eternal Lamb who is on the throne. With hair that represents the Ancient of Days, He's always been. With a robe of white represents just complete sovereign holiness. With eyes of fire representing judgment. With His mouth, it's a two-edged sword that cuts and conquers and divides the Word of God that speaks. And then with that same mouth is the rushing waters that heals and replenishes. And that feet of brass, symbol of judgment. We have a fearsome person there in Revelation. So yeah, reading even a few verses here in 1 John, you're going to see how mystical this is. Look at verse 1. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning. And then you're going to see here very quickly, he's going to say, this very mysterious person, God Himself, we actually handled Him. We touched Him. That is, we had interaction with Him. Okay? Notice 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, like we can hear Him, amen, which we have seen with our eyes, which we beheld, and our hands handled, which means actually all of this, this is a person that lived among us. This is a person that we touched and talked to and ate with. We had interaction with this person. But now notice John's interpretation of this person. We heard Him, we saw Him, we beheld Him, we handled Him concerning the Word of life. This is His interpretation of that man that they touched and laid on His breast and ate with. He was not a miracle worker. He was not just a kind of a king. He was not just a kind of a great relational... It was the Word of life. That's a description of Jesus, the Word of life. Do you see how mystical that is? Are you with me? That's quite marvelous, is it not? Concerning the word of life. Saints, do you remember there in first, 
the first chapter of John, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being through Him. Not one thing came into being apart from Him. In Him was life. And the life was the life. He describes God in a very mystical term, the Word. But then the first thing that He always wants you to know about this mysterious man, this God-man, this Christ, is that He is life. Everything He speaks is life. That's why we put life at the center of the Christian life. Because He's life-giving. Whatever He speaks, whatever He does is to promote life in His people. The reason is because we're dead. We're dead. So saints, any and all interaction with this man called Jesus Christ needs to be a life-giving interaction. This is what John is trying to impress upon us. We touched him. We saw him. We beheld him. We handled him. And he kept ministering to us the word of life. Notice verse 2. And the life was manifested. The life was... But listen, not the human life was manifested. The divine life was manifested through this man. We interacted with him. And as we touched him and saw him and heard him, the divine life of God was manifested. In Matthew, through that man, the kingdom is manifested. In Mark, through that man, the power is manifested. In Luke's gospel, through that man, relationship and understanding and love is manifested. But in John's gospel and in John's experience, the divine life is manifested. So he's like, I want to tell you about this divine life. He's the word. He said a lot of great things. But he's actually a living person, not just a mere human life. A divine living person. Notice the, the reasoning here. He says, this life was manifested through this man. And we have seen it. And we testify. And we report to you the eternal life. Notice these descriptions of Christ. It's just out there. What Matthew did, he said it this way. The prophecies from the Old Testament. This man Jesus manifested those prophecies. He brought it to pass. He fulfilled it. He is the one that all these prophecies speak about. So Matthew would say, uh, the prophecies were manifested. Yeah? Mark would say in a sense, the power and the miraculous was manifested through this man. Luke would say, understanding and relationship and compassion was manifested. John says, the very nature of God was manifested through this man. And we declare this nature to you. Beloved, there's so much that we as Christians want God to manifest for us. But John's writings that your heart really aches for, John tells you the thing that Jesus manifested and the thing that he wants to declare to you. 
It's the eternal life. Hallelujah. Your heart aches for that eternal life. You want that eternal life. But, of course, we've made Christ about so many other things except the eternal life. So this life was manifested. We've seen it. We've testified it. We report it to you. The eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse 3. That which we have seen. He repeats himself. For in case we just didn't get it. You understand, of course, in the Bible, they did not have bold when they wrote letters. Double dipped that uh, thing, you know, just this is bold now. So you'll see repetition is the means for emphasis in uh, the writing of the scriptures. Repetition. Here it is. That which we have seen and heard, we report also to you. Why do we give you this report? Why do I write this letter to you? Why do I tell you about this eternal life? Saints, look, listen, look closely. That you may have fellowship with us. So you see here that life in you the eternal life will draw you into fellowship with John. He doesn't want you to fellowship with him by way of argument, and teachings and facts. and He wants you to fellowship with him by way of the eternal life. Is it not true that you only fellowship with those who think like you? Read the same books you do. Go to the same congregation you do. Those become sort of the criteria for our fellowship. John says, I write to you about the eternal life. And on that basis, you and I have interaction. Not according to the flesh, because there's no male or female in Christ anymore. The eternal life does away with that. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. In Christ, all of these things are done away with through the eternal life. So that our fellowship is in a divine way, not in a flesh way. And John says here, I want you to interact with me in the divine life. And then notice here, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Saints, get the beauty of what the man is saying here. John says, I want to preach eternal life to you. The divine essence of God. So that you're born of that divine essence. That you can enter into fellowship with me because I fellowship with God, the Father, and the Son, Jesus Christ.
I want you to be in on the interaction. I want you to be in on the enjoyment. I want you to be in on the spiritual, the supernatural, the divine. So I write these things to you and I declare to you this eternal life that was manifested to us disciples who walked with Him in the flesh. Now we declare this to you so that you can come into the fellowship that we have with God. John had interaction with God. He was in God, not before God, in God. He's the one in his Gospels who speak about Christ in me and me in him and the Father in him and the Father in him and in us and us in him and us in one another. John is the in Gospel. You're in. If you read that one. You get the sense in John's Gospel that we're not just before God, but He wants to bring us in Him, into His bosom, into His heart, into His house. In John 14, when He speaks about, I'm leaving to go prepare a place for you, what the older folk in, in biblical translations did is they translated that as mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. In John 14 there. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. So, the Bible translators just put the word mansion in there, because that's the natural understanding. He's going to prepare a place. Surely a place is a home. Surely a place is a mansion. And so we have hymns that have come out of that. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. And then some of us are so humble. Oh, God, I don't need a mansion. If I can just have a shack, you know, just, so we're going to write the book to shack. And if I can just have a little shack in the kingdom of God, and I'm happy, Lord. I just, I'm so blessed to be through the pearly gates, you know. This is the natural man's concept. But what Jesus is saying is something entirely different. And I, I wonder if your Bible would even hint at the true spiritual meaning of this. When Jesus say, I'm going to the Father to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. We see in John chapter 1, He came out of the bosom of the Father, only to return to the bosom. Where's the bosom of the Father? Here. Not here. In the Father. He came out of the bosom of the Father. And He's returning to the bosom, not to a mansion. And He's not going to build a mansion. Listen, He's going to prepare a dwelling place in God for us. This is where John lived. This is what Paul hints at. You're seated in Him, with Him, in the heavenly places. It's mystical. But for these men here... It was reality. To write it is very difficult, but their experience was in God. So John says, He prepared a place for us. And He took me when He filled me with His Spirit. He baptized me into Christ also. I'm in Him, not in a mansion. He's not preparing a mansion for me. He prepared room in God's bosom for me. 
in the very flow of God's essence, I get to be a part. And Christ took me there. So John writes to us, he says, I'm declaring this eternal life. And in his gospel, he told us how you connect with this eternal life. He said, so that you would believe. And the things that he writes down in John's gospel is to provoke you to faith. That you would believe him. And when you believe, you enter into the eternal life. And now, John says, my fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. That is, I interact with the Father. The Father interacts with me. I interact with the Son. The Son interacts with me. And I want you in on the interaction. Amen. And then notice here. He says, And these things we write to you, that your joy would be made full. When was the last time you made a joyful Christian? Yes, we're as scarce as chicken teeth. Well, that's very scarce nowadays. <clears throat> Fellowship. Coming into God, abiding in God, being in God, is true joy. True joy. Entering into what John and them experience will make you happy. Entering into what your culture offers is going to confuse you and leave you just hanging. So he says here, I fellowship with the Father and with Jesus Christ. My question to you is, are you still just at the place of believing or in your walk with God have you advanced to fellowship? Which comes first? Believing. Believing gives you the eternal life, the free gift of eternal life. That's what faith will do, is to give you the experience of the eternal life. But John says, that eternal life is like a river in you, like a fountain in you, like a spring that bubbles up in John's Gospel chapter 4. Something on the inside will provoke you to interaction with God. How's that going for you? Oh, you had your quiet time this morning? This, yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> what Jesus was talking about is a continual, ongoing fountain of interaction. Not a visitation, not an event. Saints, this is abnormal Christian life that we check in with God and check out. What is normal is that just we live in God. We interact with God when we work, Monday, when we sleep, when we eat. In every aspect, God is in me. I'm in God. God is in my parenting. God is in my team. God is in my teaching. When I cut the grass here in the evenings, God is in my grass cutting. There's, I'm really doing away with checking into God and checking out. Fellowship is not a on, off, off. Fellowship is just a lifestyle. And John says, this is the way we live here in the first century. And all of you down the ages that receive the word of eternal life, come on in on the action. This way makes us happy. This interaction makes us happy. So yeah, a Christian is supposed to be happy. 
blessed. It's not easy. We're not saying smooth sailing. That's not ever what we're saying. You will suffer, but internally you're supplied, you're satisfied, you're enriched. This is what Jesus meant when he said, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. You're gonna be okay. Your joy is made full. 